the whole, you know, patient, the whole breeze right now. Um, so ready for fall. All righty. Uh, I'm going to open us up in some prayer, and then we will get started. There's no, like, got to be out by nine, right? Yeah. 
the manna and what the manna represents. Now, um, we're on page 48. And if you look at it, Beth is wanting us to go through Exodus 16. We don't have time unless you want to stay until 9, which I don't <laughs> see many of you do. Um, <laughs> there's like a physical reaction to that. Um, so we're going to just kind of breeze through parts of chapter 16. I'll highlight some verses, and we'll go through it. But first, we're going to start in verse 16. It says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, the manna, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could. So an omer is a measurement of dry goods. Think of like a measuring cup. And an omer is equal to like roughly two liters. So if you have a family of five, you're gathering five omers or like five soda pop bottles. You know, five, uh, sorry, yeah, ten liters. And if you have a family of three, then you'd be gathering three omers. And so each family gathered according to the need, and um, they found that they had just what they needed. There was no leftover. There was no, like, needing extra um, or having too much. There are a couple of lessons in this. First, it shows us that God knows what we need and that he will provide for our needs. God heard their grumbling bellies. He knew they were hungry. He knew they needed food because he was the one that brought them out into the wilderness, even in a haste. And camping food was not something that they had time to prepare for. If you take a look a couple chapters back in Exodus 12, verse 39, I'll read it to you. It says, And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. Now, the word leavened means like, like yeast, where you put yeast into a dough and it rises. They didn't have time to put that into the dough. So it was just basically like flour and like crackers, basically. Um, continuing on, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, so their dough was not leavened, did not rise, uh, because they were thrust out of Egypt nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now, then if you've ever gone camping and you've prepared food for camping, you know that it takes a lot of preparation. If you're camping in a group, you got to find out who's allergic to anything and then, like, make a meal plan and then go out grocery shopping. And if you're smart, you'll cook it at home. And then you got to buy the ice to freeze it. And then when you get to the campsite, you got to recook it. You know, it's a lot of preparation and planning and work, right? And that's for, like, people or something there were 600,000 men on foot besides women and children that left Egypt overnight there was no preparation there was no camping food ready for them when they left Egypt and so where we are at this point in chapter 16 they have been in the wilderness for about a month okay they're starving all that dough that they brought with them was probably gone in the first week they're hungry did God know know they wouldn't have a place to rest their heads out in the wilderness. Yeah, he knew that too. What happens is that God is expecting what is our unexpected. I'm going to sit on that for a little bit. God is expecting what we are not ready for. He already knows what 
what's about to happen. He knows the big change that's about to impact your life and turn your life upside down. He knows the unforeseen diagnosis that's around the corner. He knows the traumatic jolting event that's gonna happen in your life that's gonna totally blindside you. He knows the financial impact you're gonna have because of inflation, because of job loss, before the job loss happens. He knows that California one day is gonna see gas prices at $5.48 per gallon. What does that mean? Why is gas so expensive? Painful. He is expecting what we find to be unexpected. And he's ready to pour out his grace according to our needs. Every Israelite gathered as much manna as they needed for the number of people in their tent based on the measurement that God instructed them. He didn't say gather half an omer or gather two omers. He said one omer per person for the number of people in your tent. He knew exactly what they needed. The manna was a miraculous sign for the Israelites that God's glory was with them. And if you jump nearly 2,000 years later, there was another man that came to rescue Israel. And the Jews at that time, they wanted to know if Jesus had a miraculous sign to show them. And so in John, now this is the Gospel of John. Okay, if you, where we are in the Bible, it's Exodus. That's what we call the New Testament, sorry, the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew Bible. And if you jump over to sort of the back end of the Bible, you'll find it to be, it's called the New Testament. And the New Testament basically chronicles the life of Jesus. The first four books are the Gospels. They basically tell the witness and story of Jesus's, like, what he did on earth. And so we're in the Gospel of John, and we're in chapter 6. And um, this is Jesus um, responding to one of the questions, starting in verse 13. The people around, the Jewish people, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I and the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So the bread here represented, or the manna from Exodus, represented two different realities. Okay, there's an actual need for food reality that to feed our earthly bodies, like our physical, what we can touch, and that's most of the reality that we spend our time in. We spend our time looking at this reality the lights and the tables and the chairs. But there was a different reality that Jesus was thinking about, and that was um, a spiritual reality, a heavenly reality, because that's, that's where healing came from. And so he sees a different understanding than what we do. And so here, he's trying to explain that um, if we want our souls to live, our spirit in us to live, then we need to nourish it with every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. If we check out the way that the Gospel of John, the same one that this um, scripture is, is taken from, if you go to the very first chapter, the very first verse, it says, in the beginning was the Word, 
Now, what they mean by this is if you go to Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, it talks about the creation of the world. And it says that when God spoke things, they came into being. So God said, let there be light, and then there came, there was light. And so God's word spoke creation into life. And so here, John, who wrote the gospel, he starts off his gospel in this way. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And you jump over to verse 14, and it says, and the word became flesh. So the words that God spoke at the beginning of time became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. John, who is writing this gospel, he's saying he's seen Jesus. He has seen uh, the glory of God in Jesus. Now, if we go to John chapter 6, right after Jesus said, I am the bread of life, a couple verses later, in verse 51, it says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, for the literary people in here, he's not, I don't think, literally saying, eat my flesh. But I think what he's, you know, what he's tying back into the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, that Jesus is the Word, and he became flesh. And so what is it that we're supposed to consume? We're consuming Scripture, his Word that we read. When Jesus was, after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And Satan tempted him out in the wilderness. Jesus was fasting for 40 days. He didn't eat anything. And the tempter came, and he said to him, um, take those stones over there and turn it into loaves of bread. And Jesus' response, he quoted from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus always focused on the spiritual life. Because that's, again, the reality that he came from. And it's the one he kept looking at when he was walking this earth. He would, he would go away to the desolate place and seek his father. You know, he didn't do anything. I mean, he didn't even, his ministry didn't even start until the Holy Spirit came upon him. Right? He was always, once the Holy Spirit was there, I think probably even before, his, his thought was always looking above into heaven. It's the one he kept looking to, and it's the one that he wants us focus on. If you remember, if you were doing the study with us last year, we, we were in Colossians, and Colossians 3.2, Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. In other words, he's saying, don't worry so much about the things in this world. Look at your soul, your spiritual life. Are you nourishing it daily? Are you feeding it? Are you feeding it the words that come from the mouth of the Lord? Our navel-gazing, short-sighted focus on things of this world leads to a whole lot of striving. Have you been striving so hard to live a godly life? You know, but you keep falling short. You keep finding yourself unable to do the right things. You let your anger get the better of you. You let your bitterness fan that furious flame you have inside you because of that, that one family member that just keeps getting under your skin. That happened to me like less than a month ago. I was ready to cut my mom out of my life, like legit, done with her, because of a two-minute conversation, one-sided, where she was talking at me, and I was standing there listening, and it just began seething. I was so angry. 
But by the grace of God, I realized after 36 very angry hours that I had not been spending time praying, reading the word, reading ministry, like nothing. I wasn't spending time at all with the Lord. I was trying so hard to be attentive to her because she's not a, she's not a believer, and I wanted her to know that, you know, I'm here to visiting me. I want you to know that I care about you. I want to spend time with you. And so I did not do my usual morning, wake up, spend time with my Heavenly Father. I wasn't feasting on his word. And it certainly showed by that sixth day when she was there. And I was ready to just, I mean, I was saying things, guys. And my husband was like, this is, this is before Jesus. I don't know who you are. I was dropping bombs, you guys. Like, he didn't recognize me. I was so mad. In 2 Peter, this is also the New Testament, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. All that striving we do, we don't need to do the striving. His divine power gives us everything we need for a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. The coming to know him is the key part here. To know God means that you need to have a daily relationship with him. And that takes us to point two. Daily bread is about daily relationships. The Israelites were so hungry that it was a no-brainer for them to get up and walk out of their tents every single morning. In Exodus 16, chapter, verse 21, it says, Morning by morning they gathered it, the manna, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Just like the Israelites, they had to get out of their tents and gather this manna every single day. We need to get up and gather God's grace for the day. And thank the Lord, thank you Jesus, that his grace does not melt by the afternoon. You can come back again in the afternoon, and his grace will be there again. You can come back three hours later when that is starting to fizzle and fade, and you're hitting witching hour, and your children are like, you know, ugly. And you can gather that grace again. It doesn't melt away. The manna represented God's glory. So jumping up verses back, it says at the evening, verse 6, at the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Now the glory represented, uh, it was two parts. It was God's mercy, the manna representing God's glory. It was his mercy because they were grumbling. They were like, oh my gosh, we should have died in, in Egypt where there were meat pots. And instead of God like, whoosh, for their needs. He gave them food. God wanted them to come out of their tents, gather the manna, and see his glory. He was hitting their physical needs, hitting the physical reality for them. But what he was hoping was that eventually it wouldn't be the manna that they were coming out for, but that it would be a daily relationship that they would eventually come out seeking. He wanted their souls to be awakened to a heavenly reality of being in that close relationship. The same one, if you know the story of Noah and the ark, 
Noah was the only righteous man of his time. He was walking with God. That is what the Lord desires. He wants to walk with us all the time. And so he gave them what their physical bodies need in hopes that their spirit would connect with meeting with God every single day. That was what he was after in the wilderness, and it is what he is after now. Beth Moore, in her um, session last week in the video, she had this really great quote. She said, he is the same God doing the same thing, just in a different location. You know, our God is doing the exact same thing that he did for the Israelites, for us. It's just now. It looks different. Right? We're in the year 2023. I learned this. I recognized the sort of melody of God doing the same thing. Last year, my kids and I, we would read one chapter of the Old Testament every single morning before school. And I was really trying to push, like, hey, how about we read, you know, about Jesus? Why don't we read about, you know, we're little Jesus followers, so let's read about Jesus' life. But they were like, no, next battle! So we would hop into the next Old Testament story. And it actually ended up being really, like, fruitful for me because I recognized, wait a minute, there's a pattern here. I see a pattern in God's character. And it starts off with God showing his glory by way of his steadfast, the Hebrew word there is chesed. It's a, it's a kind of love that is, um, think of like a spouse who's, who's so super devoted to showing his adoration and love for his wife. Like he would go be up, beyond and above, like surprising her with Disneyland every day or like, you know, a ticket to Paris the next day or just going out of his way demonstrating his adoration and love for his wife. And that's the kind of love that God is constantly trying to demonstrate to us. Maybe it's through power, maybe it's through provision, maybe it's through miraculous healing, I don't know. But God is constantly trying to show his glory to us. And then we begin to learn that there has been an injustice, Christian. Like, I think you actually care about me. And I think you actually want good for me. And so you begin to form this trusting relationship with him. And then, and then there comes a time of trial and testing. And Abraham, we read about this last week, right, with Isaac. There was a testing there. The Israelites are in the wilderness. There was a testing there. And time and time again, God will, will pull us into um, a moment where it feels like we are one, like one moment we can totally trust in God, see his goodness, see his glory, and see that he cares for us. And then all of a sudden, we are in that unexpected moment, and we are in this cloud, this, this thick fog, and you're like, I can, I don't even know where the exit is out of this thing. And you're stuck, right? And you have no clue how to get out of there. And there are two options here. In that fog, you can either remember, wait a minute, I remember God demonstrating his power to me. I remember, I remember that truth that I said he cares about me and his and he is for me. Right? I need to like cling on to that, even though I don't necessarily see it right now. Or there's the other way, which is like, okay, you know what, I'm gonna take matters into my own hands and I'm gonna I'm gonna like blow on this fog and try to find my exit route. And so many of us take control of situations and we try to fix it on our own because where are you, Lord? 
right? But if you do happen to cling on to the Lord and you happen to like, all right, Lord, um, I don't necessarily maybe even know you all that super well, but I've seen enough where I can trust in you and I've got this issue and I could use a little bit of help. Like saying, Lord, I need your help is like the, the most simple prayer. The most simple prayer. If you read in scripture, so many times it says we cried out for help and the Lord came. We cried out for help and the Lord came. We cried for help and the Lord came. Just say, Lord, I need your help. That's it. He knows exactly what help you need. And you wait and you wait. And sometimes you wait a really long time, but you wait and you trust in it. And then what ends up happening is that you begin to see an identity. There's that power. There's that faith that I remember. And it builds your faith, and it causes your heart to then want to come to him for everything daily. Because remember, daily bread is about daily relationship. If you have grumblings like the Israelites did, go to him. And as you do, collect what you need for the day, as much as you need. Remember, his divine power gives us everything we need for a godly life. Because if we don't bring our grumbles to the Lord daily, if we bottle up all that bitterness and let it multiply like a ruthless cancer, instead of gathering his grace every day, we're going to allow the culture and our world to tell us how we're supposed to respond. Or if you remember from last week's study that our heart is unsanctified, or like really confused and it doesn't really know what the answer is, but we let that dictate our steps and our thoughts. And before you know it, you got a one and a half minute conversation with your mother and you're ready to cut her out of your life, right? If you are not gathering up that grace every single day, don't let it get to that point. The harsh reality is our objection to God's daily approach is rooted in pride and fear. Most of the grumbling we have comes from pride or fear. When we bring to him all of our grievances, he is the only one that's able to look beyond that grumbling and get to the root of what is really the issue. So when I drove my mom to the airport, said bye-bye, she flew back down to Southern California, and I finally sat with the Lord. I realized that my anger came from a place of insecurity. I've always felt like I didn't measure up. I'm the youngest of four. My oldest brother is a director of IT. Any tech questions, my parents would go to him. My sister has her PhD in nursing. Like, she's the golden, you know, she got a PhD, guys. And uh, any health questions, my parents would go to her. My other brother, he's like a certified financial advisor. He could tell my parents how to like do their stock things that I don't, I mean, I don't know what those things are. I, became a teacher. And my parents see me go to school and don't have an education. So what are they going to ask me? They're not going to ask me anything, right? And so I never felt like I had lived up to their expectations. But after years of being a Christian, I learned that my worth and my value was renewed in Christ. I knew that, right? I know it. So my mistake was not gathering up those truths, those words, and letting them remind me when I was there in the presence of my mom. I allowed her words to pull up some real deep 
real deep wounds, like roots that I didn't even know were inside my head. Deep calls the deep. Only God, only the Holy Spirit, only his word can pierce through and get to those deep, dark places that are really hurting. And sometimes it's buried so deep that you don't even recognize that it's there, but the Lord knows where the pain's coming from. And so bring those grumbles to the Lord daily. Let his grace wash over you. Know that you are valuable to our Heavenly Father. Your fears and your disappointments are God's, like, like he's letter pressing this beautiful invitation in the form of your fears, in the form of your disappointments. He's inviting you with those to come near to him because he wants to heal those wounds. He wants to heal them so that you then can maximize your gifts and talents that he's poured into you, that he's given you. Because when we live out of that place, when we live out of his gifts and talents, that's when we glorify our Heavenly Father. And so bring every feeling, every wonder, every confusion, every uncertainty, bring it to him. And as your relationship with him builds, you will discover that he is merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding, like, like bursting with this chesed love over you, pursuing you, chasing after you. He wants good for you. And you just have to trust him in those unexpected things in life. And sometimes we don't feel it, but we know, right? It's a fact. And that's what we got to live on the, on the fact. Lord, for this evening, and Lord, I pray again that you would just clarify anything um, that still needs your spirit's work and your hands in it. Thank you, Lord, for these ladies. I ask that you would be with them as they drive home, give them safety, and may they see that your love pursues them, and um, and that they begin to, they, they, they can be reminded of that trusting relationship and be reminded that you want good things and you care about us um, even in the midst of a really scary time.